Oh, welcome to this week's episode of Devil's Trap Podcast, where I am talking about how I want to be smothered and covered with Dr. Badass. And then you tell us all about the original Miss Cleo. And this episode is dedicated to the memory of Mr. Tinkles. RIP Mr. Tinkles. Let's do this. Trap podcast. We're going to talk about season two, episode 10, Hunted. I'm Diane. I was like, who are you? <laughs> I'm Liz. Hi. Oh, man. So, what's going on? How was your week? Yeah, it was, it's been good. Um, active, but good. Got to celebrate our friend Aaron's birthday this past weekend. Um, got to uh, go to a Ranger game at the fancy Globe Life indoor field, which is Quite lovely to have uh, air conditioning while you watch baseball in a Texas summer at 1 30 in the afternoon. And I mean, and Rangers lost because that's what they do right now, but it was still nice. I mean, you I didn't get... tell me that it was air conditioning. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you're like, I'm going to a baseball game. I was like, oh, you're in a baseball game in Dallas. You were, <laughs> you were very positive and optimistic about it because it was a semi work thing, but it was, but you were very like, it'll be fun. And I'm like, damn, who are you? Um, but but you know, I had the requisite popcorn, nachos, and a beer, so it, it was a good time. And, and no hot dog. I, I know. Get down the hot dog. I'd eaten lunch already, and then I thought about a hot dog, and I was like, mm. but uh, but there were a lot of fell balls. <laughs> they had balls flying at her face. Uh, yeah, no, my my stadium, like if I'm doing baseball games, is well, I usually the only time I would go to baseball games was usually like when I lived in Florida, we would go see the feeder teams or the people doing spring training because they would have dollar dog and dollar beer night. Right. So I was just going for dollar beer. And honestly, it's fun to sit outside and get drunk and watch people throw balls at each other. But I'm not going to watch baseball on TV. Like I'm never yeah. going to be that excited about it. But give me an excuse to go drink beer and eat some eat some terrible food. Like I'm cool. Like yeah, that's how I feel. Like I'm not a baseball. Like, I'm a. I'm a. I root for my home team. I'm just not going to fucking watch kind of person. Like oh, I want my team to be good, but I like an event is different. Like watching on TV, no. But going to a game is an event. Like all right, and 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 we had like some of the sp- the fancy seats. Uh, so I had really good seats behind home plate, and like we uh they, it's really bizarre. But um they do like this thing where you like a concierge like you just check off what you want, and they bring you free popcorn. Free pretzels, free hot dog, free peanuts. Let me just deliver it to you in these seats. I just think it's weird that StubHub has their own like part of of an event space because I mean, like it's a ticket exchange. It's basically ticket reselling, which is kind of like the antithesis of anybody that puts on events. It's just bizarre to me, but that's okay. Good for yeah, that. I think Good we're, for at the, we're at this point though where StubHub has just become embedded okay. into things. And as far as ticket scalpers go, like I'm sure the 
people who i don't know baseball people whatever fucking people who sell sports tickets yeah. owners would rather have people buy them through sub oh, hub because sure. then the seats are there as opposed to scalping them outside but that guy who is like hey hey got five tickets oh. got five tickets here would you yeah. would you like some tickets no no i know it's just it, it, i totally get it it just feels like huh this is weird, but okay. But yeah, no, it was it was a good time. And then um, they had a big fundraiser in Dallas yesterday for um, a uh, yesterday. Well, whatever we're recording on Monday. Um, but um, a local studio owner who was uh, severely injured in a freak electrical accident, and um, so musician and, and music producer um, who um, it's, it was called Jeff Fest at uh, Double Wide, one of our favorite spots to go hang out. And um, so a bunch of amazing bands that were friends with him or recorded with him, all that donated their time, tons of great sponsors. It was a really cool thing um, to, to help him out and help his family out with the medical expenses. He's got quite a road to recovery, but it was cool to see everybody, come, like a lot of the music scene in Dallas was there coming out and supporting. Nice to see people come together for a cause and have a good time. And it was hot and we drank beer and then I was tired and went home. Ooh, That's party. my story. That's what I got. That's what I got. Yeah, I, I barely left my couch. Uh, pretty, I think at one point I was like lying on the couch surrounded by like a thousand books on the occult trying to figure out what I was going to do for, for this week's episode. And I did, in exciting news, I did get a new book of Victorian morning fashion and uh, jewelry and clothes. And I found uh, they there's a whole article in there about uh, the, oh shit, I'm, I'm spacing on the name, um, the things used to catch your tears while you're mourning. What? And I'm like, oh my. That's like Snape. It's, yeah, exactly like it was in Harry Potter. So it's a thing that they really had during Victorian times and women like would capture their tears. And it was, they also happened during the Civil War. So while your your soldier was off fighting for whatever side he was fighting on, like if you were sad, you could capture your tears. So he came back and he knew you were sad for him. Mm -hmm. So now I want to find those bitches. And they're not that expensive. They're like around mm -hmm. like a hundred, because the book is like, as like a, a buying guide and right. it tells you like how much of like these e type each type of things should be worth hmm. so that as you're going on ebay or other places looking for them you can get a general idea of like when you're getting fucked with and like what you're supposed right. to pay or if you get a good find you know so yeah they were only like a hundred to two hundred dollars so that was i think that's worth it for but i'm like do you still have their tears in it can i use these tears to do a spell and like bring those people back from the dead that's you know where my mind with that you know i can use this to commit sorcery but you know also they also look cool but i'm just amused that you were watching drag race while you were <laughs> reading this book too what else do you do you watch you watch drag race and then you know you read about victorian morning clothes hey well, I mean, it's, fashion, it's all fashion related it's so all fashions the queens would have loved it and it made me feel less guilty about not sewing things that are like there's a pattern I was researching other things that, you know, I may want it to make into clothes one day. Uh, yeah, beyond that, I mean, I was on call this weekend, so it wasn't real, I couldn't go anywhere. Uh, but I will say that today, one thing, I don't know if you guys ever had this happen to you when you listen to our podcast. So tonight I was having a, a late evening call because we were trying to coordinate times between the US and Australia. And 
I had paused a podcast I was listening to on the Black Death, and I'd unmuted my my uh, my meeting so I could talk to people, and I accidentally hit something in my iPad, and <laughs> just the podcast started screaming about scallywags. So LA was just like, "Oh, these scallywags! <laughs> these scallywags!" Everyone, I'm like trying desperately to like oh, either grab the mute the mute button, and it was like, "Wait, which do I do first? Do I mute the 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 laptop?" and then like so it's okay so I mm. muted the, the the meeting and then like wouldn't sound like where it was coming through on my, on my iPad and yeah, yeah I get to see what one of my my work husband was on the call and you could see him laughing because nobody knew where this was coming from all right this, just random and nobody it was the beginning of the call so we weren't actually and it wasn't a customer it was internal but at least I was just like oh and nobody brought it up like nobody mentioned ah, the fact that somewhere in the background better. yeah it's like scallywags <laughs> I love that because then it's just like that weird awkward where like they just didn't want to say anything like no but I'm sure everyone's like what is that saying scally scally what like what because <laughs> you that- can't really yeah. You can't mistake that for somebody's yeah. child or anything yeah. like. Um, I guess if, you could. If I had a child, yeah, they would be they would be running around yelling scallywags. Oh, I mean, I, I would teach my child that word. You know, I mean, I guess it, I don't know if that's in Pirates of the Caribbean. Like maybe they would learn it. I'm like, but yeah, things to teach. teach things to teach, teach Addison. Teach your children about scallywags. Yeah. Yeah. What are you drinking? I am drinking. Uh, one is in yours, Monte Pulciano's. I'm not trying that one yet. I really want to. Oops. I'm going to drink the last bottle. I almost ordered it because that's yeah. what I wanted to try. I just it's, it's really good. Uh, if you order, you did decant it for like an hour. But mm. uh, um, yeah, it's you would like it. I, I swear I brought this for you before. But. I don't know. Uh, also, I'm going to Dallas this weekend to go see Diana for my birthday, and we're and we're gonna go watch horses run at Medieval Times and go see like an actual band. I'm so excited. This is the first band I will have seen since the pandemic. I'm pretty sure. Shut up. Yeah. Well, not really. <laughs> it's just weird. Like I keep hearing people say that, and it's awesome because I'm like, oh man. I've, I mean, A, it's partially my line of work. It may be weird if I hadn't. Partially, it is your line of work. I like part, partially, well, this is I mean, what I do. I do, I do. A lot of paperwork, because I don't have to. Know. But I was working shows back when we first opened, so I saw a lot of shows then. But yeah, um, yeah it's, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. And like even yesterday when I was at that show, I mean, it's just a good everybody outside. And I mean, the most, it was mostly outside. It was outside, inside event, but like, just being in this event this weekend is out the concert out is mostly outside this weekend I think but like it's just like the I'll get all like wax poetic on like the community feeling of enjoying live music with a group of people it's just so different like live stream is one thing okay great people did that I think it's boring great to all the people that enjoy it but and then like listening to an album I listen to music I like music but then like being in a communal experience of enjoying live music in a social setting with other people that you share this enjoyment with there's just not an equivalent for it. and I know you're a live music fan so you'll you'll truly enjoy it too with us yeah I just don't like the people part I'm like yeah I want to go see the band I don't the socializing I, I'm gonna be with the people I want to socialize socialize with for the most part well, yeah I did find out today that one of my favorite bands I'm currently obsessed with Twin Temple mm-hmm. is playing a Halloween show in LA Oh no. 
And so, yeah, I think I'm going to go to that because how could I not? And and uh, one of my favorite Texas drag queens, uh, Louisiana Purchase, is going to be performing at that show. Oh, so wow. I'm like, oh, she's Double awesome. Whammy. She's an awesome queen. She's going to be out there. If you have not watched Dragula, it is like the best show ever. You all should stop, which finish our podcast and, and then, then and then go watch Dragula because I watched, I watched most. Did I watch the first? I watched the first season. I think you watched the first season. And then yeah, it's, I need to go back and watch again. Yeah, there's two watch, seasons. Like watch the follow on. There's two or three seasons. I forget how many there were. Uh, but yeah, it's just the most incredible like makeup. If you're into horror effects or anything like that, it's just anyone who's into fashion or just in general weirdness. Like it's just it's full of like the greatest weirdos. And so and that's why I learned about her from and she lives in Austin. So it'd be cool to go see a Texas queen out there and also get to see my favorite satanic doo-wop band, Sacrifice Shit. And I better, like, if I fly out there, I better be brought up and get on stage and getting my, get my blood blessings. That's all I, that's all I really want. Although uh, on their last Kevin meeting, they're like, we're not sure how we're going to do that now that, you know, biohazards and and shit. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, but that also yeah. means it's time for me to start planning my Halloween costume. Oh man. Which I've oh been thinking God. about since last year. Um, so I think, and I don't want to put myself into a box, but I've been thinking about doing, uh, obviously it always involves some sort of corset, uh, but yeah. doing a very stylized bat. Like, so you have one does like the Black Widow, like, you know, things like, but doing that version, but with the bat. It's just, last year I found that really cute, uh, that really cute uh, bat costume where the person like had like yeah. the most adorable bat face ever. Yes, I remember. And, yeah, so combining that with like some sexiness, like, I can be really good. Sexy bat. Sexy, I'm a sexy bat. That's what I'm doing for Halloween. I'm a sexy bat. It's much better than a sexy nurse or a sexy coronavirus. I think there was like, they went went over the top with like the sexy costumes. I think last year there was like sexy fucking corn on the cob. I'm like, what the what the hell are we doing guys yeah pretty much anything you can make sexy like and but but also like they're not even really making them sexy it's like i'm just going to give you some shitty ass waist center and a tiny skirt and then put a picture of a taco on it all of a sudden you're a sexy taco like and like i have a sexy taco you are not a sexy taco Okay, I think we, we probably have droned on enough and we've got a lot to talk about this episode because uh, it is, like Diana said, season two, episode 10, Haunted. Haunted. So this episode first aired January 11th, 2007. And I think you need to hold on to your tits, Diana, because the director for this, mm-hmm. her name is Rachel Talele. Mm-hmm. Um, she got her start with John Waters. So John Waters got her into film. So she was a PA on Polyester. She was the only female director of any of the Nightmare on Elm Street. She directed Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. And she directed fucking Tank Girl. She is the one who directed Tank Girl. Yes. And I was just like, I read that. I was like, no wonder I let you. Know, I, I have things about this episode, but. This is the only episode of Supernatural she ever did, but I was like, oh my God, I can't believe she, she basically after she did Tank Girl and then she did uh, The Ghost in the Machine. And then after that, she kind of moved into directing television. So a lot of like- Interesting. 
and like I think she did some Riverdales and other things like that but uh yeah yeah but I just saw that I was like oh my god tight girl so wait did you say she did Freddie uh, she did the the final nightmare or no yeah she did the final nightmare not the one that Ava was in so interestingly here's my tie-ins now a I've met John Waters b Play oh, roller derby with the chick that killed Freddie in the final nightmare. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, what? Yeah. Crazy tie-ins. There we go. Confluence. It all comes together. I'm like, I'm like twice, like two times I'm one degree of separation from from the structure. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, and the I don't writer... have any good tank girl tie-ins, I wish. But that's okay. Man, Lori Petty was so amazing. That movie was mm-hmm. such a, so ridiculous, so amazing. Uh, go watch Tank Girl if you haven't. All of it. All of it. So good. Um, All right. So, it was written by, yeah, and it was written by Rael Tucker. We've talked about it before. So we can delve right into, right into this. So do you want to start? All right. Yeah. So um, we start with this episode with a, you see a, a doctor's voice recorder with, um, talking to like a patient and it's a a young man with kind of sunken in eyes looks kind of sad said he's had a lot of migraines and that he started to have like this weird things happen like when he touches stuff it like electrifies it and kind of and he fried the neighbor's cat Um, and in the background during this uh white rabbit by jefferson airplane is playing by the way which is a great great song in my opinion but um but then like the guy the doctor's kind of like oh you really believe that happened like you fried this cat and he's like want to shake my hand like puts his hand out and the doctor won't take it yeah um, I, did well did you imdb the actor um the doctor or the no scott oh, i did i did look up good old scotty uh who they call that's what they call him a lot later in the episode and i totally blanked on it i've got my notes somewhere here we go uh he um well he he was in he's another episode of supernatural later on but he was also in the cbgb film yeah, the, the CBG film, he played Taxi. He was a sound guy at CBs. Yep. Uh, also known as a film which shall not be talked about. Even though Alan Rickman is in it and, you know, Snape. But I haven't seen it. Oh, my. I'm sorry. Uh, I know, I'm aware I mean, of it. I haven't seen it. I Dr. Mean, Wexler, though, is yeah. also a voice. Of the, the doctor that he's talking to does play a regular voice. Well, did play a regular voice on Squidbillies. So there's your other there random. There you go. <laughs> Okay, so uh, back to Mr. Tinkles. Um, so <laughs> Mr. Tinkles, the cat, that's the one that Scott killed. Uh, so anyway, so White Rabbit is playing and Scott starts talking about old yellow eyes. Old yellow eyes. Tell him to do things he doesn't want to do in his dreams. And um, and that he has plans for him. But he's, he calls him the yellow eyed man. So anyway, so we kind of cut away from him talking about this to go, uh, he's like walking like through this weird alley, like under some train to go to like, I guess where his car is parked is where we find the ground. I'm like, where the fuck is he going? And um, you can tell he kind of feels like he's being followed. He's looking around. And then by the time he like starts to put his keys in his car, you see a reflection of a person behind him and they stab him repeatedly. They do. And my note on this is because White Rabbit was playing in the background, feed your head and stab Scott until he did. Oh, nicely done. Yeah, I'm a poet. That's how it goes. Yeah, so so Scott did. Uh, one thing that I was thinking about with this, because we, you know, we saw this with Scott and then the other 
not Andrew, which is the bad twin. He was killing people who said that Old Yellow Eyes was coming to him. And I think it's interesting that Old Yellow Eyes has not been trying to entice Sam, right? right. So we know that, and we'll, when we get to the other next part, we get to Ava and stuff later, but it doesn't sound like he was talking to her. Didn't sound like he was talking to any of the other ones that Sam had met. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, I just think it's interesting that he's selective he and who he's selectively to. like, he's just like, I know this one's already kind of crazy or like how like that was being chosen. But I just thought yeah. that was weird. It is interesting. Or maybe they're more easily persuaded. Um, it just depends. I don't know. Maybe it's a personality trait. Yeah, so we cut, though, to, thank fucking God, we cut back to Sam and Dean on the water where Dean is finally going to tell Sam the secret that the asshole dad gave them before, gave him before he died. So, um, anyways, basically that it's just that, he, but it's like totally like not an impressive secret, really, I thought. It's kind of, a, well, kind of anticlimactic. Other than implying that he might have to kill his brother. I, guess. I think that you have to kill your brother well, you might have to no, I think John said you're gonna have to kill your brother like it was you need to keep an eye on him and like that secret he didn't talk to him for that long I think he no. just said you're gonna have to kill your brother also what the fuck dad like you can't tell like what you have to kill your brother fuck you John like yeah. don't put that kind of guilt on anybody you fucking dick yeah if nothing else matters if you don't save him you might have to kill him is basically what he said that's like okay yeah. that's and then sam's pissed like duh but he's like what you just think i'm gonna turn to the dark side and be bad you just should have told me about this right away and so sam's pretty much like this is kind of sets off the spiral of sam being obsessed with being concerned about tracking everything down because he doesn't want to turn bad <clears throat> and then dean's mad because he's like i just wish i hadn't been fucking told this shit like which is fair too like it's bullshit so sam wants to go on a mission to figure out where this all comes from and what the what this all means like what what is the plan that the old yellow eyes has for him dean's like fuck that shit we need to go to lay low let's go to like let's go somewhere well and also like so clearly and i guess like you know john probably i guess the implication is that john got this information from old yellow eyes uh but i mean so like he just basically gave dean some like vague information that he kind of knew but didn't really know didn't give him anything else like what what is and would torment him so like oh it sounds like just like an asshole demon move yeah and like there's no plan of action there's nothing that says like this is how you're gonna know is sam is turning dark side like there's nothing just like hey he like what what do you what did john know like i I don't know. The whole situation, I think, is like you got some vague fucking drama and then you pass that on. And I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So the, the, the boys are fighting now. And mm-hmm. even though Sam doesn't want to go bad, he steals a car. <laughs> so right? Well, we cut to the scene and we see him sneaking. We see Sam sneaking. We, we see the scene play out with Sam sneaking out of a hotel um, with a backpack, breaks into a car, and he's going to this address that's written on a piece of um, stationery from the Blue Rose Motel. Uh, and he goes to this boarded up house that's real fucking creepy. I'm like, oh, this seems like a terrible plan by yourself, dude, but okay. And uh, he picks the lock. Um, and I'm like, and my first thought was, why the fuck is this door locked? This house is like boarded up. Like, obviously, <laughs> right? people fucking this shit up. Like, come on now this is an abandoned property and then we then he opens the door and i'm like well this is even more dumb there's no way that door was locked because there's graffiti everywhere this is stupid but sorry 
that's just picking on a detail but and then um as he's like walking like walks into like this house looking around he hits a tripwire and a grenade he sees the grenade and then he gets blown up and you see a bloody boot on the ground and then you realize it cuts to a woman laying in bed with her we find later it's fiance um and she just calls it a nightmare she's like oh i just had a nightmare you know like wakes up all upset so now we know that she just had the vision of Sam's death instead of Sam actually being dead. So we cut to um, Ellen's roadhouse. 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 Uh, and uh, Sam walks in. He actually did leave Dean. That was accurate. So he did steal a car and go leave Dean. That was the part of the vision, but it happened as well. And um, he finds out from Ellen that Joe has gone out on her own as a hunter. She's been gone for weeks. She gets postcards periodically and that's it. And Sam's like, oh shit, you're gonna blame us, right? And she's like, I kind of want to blame you guys, but I know I can't, it's not your fault. Um, you know, this is, you know, I forget, it's not y'all's fault. And I forgave your dad a long time ago. I'm not holding anything against any of you. He wants to know more about the story about what happened with his dad, but of course she won't tell him because she isn't gonna tell him that. So. But um, so I Sam- I also think, yeah, it was an interesting plot device because Sam at Sam Ellen asked Sam what happened and he changed the subject and then Sam asked Ellen something oh, and then she right. also changed the subject. So I thought that was an interesting they're both, take. They're both hiding things and they both use the same tool to do that. Yeah. Yep. So Sam um gets gets with uh your your Dr. Badass, your buddy Ash, and uh says that he wants to look for other psychics like him. There's not like a lot of parameters, but uh, Ash didn't think there were, but Sam gives him a few more. And he narrows it down to four people in the country. Three yeah, of them I, I, already... I, mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm going to pause you because there was a deleted scene. And there was more, I could have had more ash and they cut uh... it. And I'm so mad. I was like, wait, there was more ash and, and you took it out. So uh, it, I, I should have sent you this earlier so we could act it out. Uh, but in this scene, all right, so basically it's ash trying to get a date so it starts off with a girl is playing pool she leans over the table lighting up her shot as ash approaches and ash says girl i'm gonna take you to waffle house oh shit oh shit and then there's some other things that happen but i just want to say if i got if ash if you you want to take me to waffle house Mm-hmm. I'd be down. We'd be getting some smothered and covered. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be happening. I was going to yeah. ask if you'd get it smothered and covered. Of course, <laughs> we, we would be smothered and covered all through that Waffle House. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to distract you. So there's four there, there's four people like, who fit yeah, the three of, them, three of them they've already identified. And then uh, the other one is this uh, is Scott, but his location is a cemetery plot. And then, so that's the guy we saw get killed at the beginning of the episode. And so, uh, but he was, they, they say he was just stabbed in a parking lot last month. Ellen wants to tell Dean where Sam is. Sam asks her not to. Obviously she's going to later, but that's okay. Uh, well, I also was like, Ellen is like, you know, I have to call Dean. I'm like, do you? Like, what? why is this your business, Ellen? Like, I mean, I get like, you're kind of getting involved in their lives now, but are you guys this close now that you need to call Dean, like I, well, maybe I, she I, just realizes that it's not safe for one of them to be running out without the other. Fair. Like, that's what I think, because she knows hunters and she knows their dad, and I think that she probably thinks that she's doing something for John's wishes to keep them together. Blah blah blah. And then she always wants to know where her family is, so she kind of gets like that. Like her daughter ran off, and she'd want someone to tell her. You know, I think that's kind of like the whole thing, but it is kind of still weird. 
because there's a yeah. weird like hunter code i guess or whatever anyways so um we cut to sam um talking to scott's dad and claiming that he was a high school classmate of uh, of scotty's his dad calls him so i call him scotty the rest of my notes sorry yeah also sam is still driving that same stolen car seems very unwise you would have changed that seems like a me. terrible idea bad bad criminal S- switch out your stolen car man yeah. like that's yeah yeah so anyway so and he starts talking and he gets dad to start talking about how like in the last year that scott started having headaches depression and nightmares and he just kind of like emotionally shut down and spent a lot of time in his room so Sam weirdly gets permission to go to this kid, this guy's room and goes in there and finds like all these prescriptions on the nightstand. He grabs one of them for the doctor name. And then um, he opens the closet and we find out that Scott's really into arts and crafts. Collage <laughs> and mixed media is his favorite style. And he has an entire collage of yellow eyeballs on his wall. It's very, 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 um, what was that? Was it Mad Love? Was that that movie with Drew Barrymore where she cut out all the eyes? have all the magazines anyways yeah yeah also he did not hide these well like <laughs> no, I mean, they were I'm very like, obvious behind his clothes I'm like, I'm like, like, and they were uplit like it was <laughs> no, i was like so dad like i guess we all deal with grief differently yeah but i mean he, i guess he never like went and opened this closet door i've been like huh there's a bunch of a weird weird yellow eyes here that that yeah. seems strange but yeah. Yeehaw. So from there we cut back and ends up that Sam is now checked into the Blue Rose Motel, which is the name of the motel that was on the stationery that was in the vision that the chick had. And um he can tell he's being followed, or you can kind of feel it. And then all of a sudden the chick, Ava, we find out her name is that had the nightmare, shows up. So um she's trying to like explain, which it's kind of funny watching someone else try to explain to one of the Winchester brothers that they're not crazy or on drugs and tell them what's actually happening. And so she's explained that she's like, you're in danger. I'm not insane. I'm not high. And you're going to die. You in danger, girl. You in danger. So, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> and so he kind of delves into it. He's like, no, no, I believe you. And she's like, what? what? <laughs> but basically a year ago, she had started having headaches and nightmares she saw the guy get stabbed in a parking lot days before it happened and then saw it in the, and then saw it in the news. So basically her dreams are coming true and it's very upsetting. And then she had tells him that she's like, I had one about you. I saw you die, which I thought that was, I saw, I wrote down, I saw you die. I thought that was like, <laughs> heebie-jeebie moment. Um, and so, um, and she Googled and she had in the vision, she had seen the name of the motel on the stationery and that's how she found him because she Googled it. So he tries to explain to her that he has visions too, but now she thinks he's insane. So <laughs> I was like, oh, I have the tables have turned. Um, but he realized that she doesn't fit the pattern. Like none of the things yeah. about her fit the pattern for um, old Yellow Eyes' plans. Yeah. So I, he's telling her that he she is part of the Psychic Friends yeah. Club. And so speaking of psychics, okay, so... Tried really hard to figure out where our lore for this episode should come from. Uh, there's a number of things, but you know, it's like, you know, let's start looking around on psychics. And it's really hard to Google things without getting uh, just websites, people who want to, you know, take my money to get my fortune read. Uh, but I want to talk about the original Miss Cleo. So it's time for lore. Lore. Lord. It seems early, but you know, whatever. Uh, so 
it's lore time. So we're going to talk about who, and I'm just affectionately calling her the original Miss Cleo. Uh, she was, she was not, and for those of you who don't know the Miss Cleo reference, well, fuck you, go look it up. Uh, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> You were, were you alive in the 90s? I don't know. Well, and there there are a lot of kids now who That's would true. not know if I went to them and I said, call me now, they'd be like, what? And they'd yeah. also be like, why would I call you? I'll just text you. I'll yeah. send you a Snapchat. So, uh, like, can you show me how to use Snapchat? That'd be really great. <laughs> yeah, no. Or like, you can get on my TikTok. No, no, I'm an old whoa, lady. I don't whoa. do that. Whoa. But this is also going to give me a chance to use some French accents again. And we all love my French accents. You know they're the best. So we are going back to <laughs> it's like, oh shit. Oh. oh no, we're going through this again. All right. So we're going to France to the late, we're going to start off in the late 1700s, specifically to May 27th, 1772 in Alicante. Normandy, when the uh, great late Marie Anne Lenormand, I don't know, I'm just going to call her Lenormand for the rest of this. I went and like looked up the pronunciation and it was full of so much hacking and other things. I was like, I, I can't. So her name is going to, it's L-E-N-O-R-M-A-N-D. So if you look at it, it's like Lenormand, it's fine. We're just going to go with that. So she was born in 1772. Um, if you could also find her reference as Le Normand, like in two separate words, uh, because she she that's what she wanted to call herself. Uh, so she was like, in my books, call me Le Normand. Uh, so she was orphaned when she was five and her stepfather sent her off to convents because he wanted to prepare for a new family. So uh, he was like, I need to get, like she had two, two other siblings too. He's like, I need to get you out of the way. So at that time, you know, what do you do? You go to a Benedictine convent. Uh, and you know, according to sources, some of which may have been her, uh, that she started getting, you know, visions and sights of the future, you know, when she was a kid. And she could tell when the other students were going to get in trouble. She also, uh, sorry, there's a cat trying to get into the wine, which is not acceptable. Uh, so she also was said that she predicted when the abbess and the convent was going to be replaced um that happened through the king so all this stuff is great so she's 14 14 years old and this is 1786 and she's like i want to go to paris and they're like well your stepfather's there i guess that's fine and so he's paying for you to be here anyways so she gets sent off to paris and one of the things that's really annoying and all like the research i, I read on her which is not a lot because there's a lot of controversy about what's real what's not because a lot of this she wrote herself mm -hmm. uh, but they're always like she was pudgy and plain and I'm like and this is gonna come up again I'm just like quit fat shaming this girl but it's like and one thing is like at 14 she was pudgy and plain and wanted to go to Paris I'm like what 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 does that have to do okay um so poor little short fat girl got she goes to Paris and her stepfather gets her job at a mill at um in a mill milliner shop I, I know what milliner is I'm a costume it's, designer it's not an like, easy word it's a weird it, word. it is not it's a hard word to say but basically yeah. if you don't know they make hats yeah. so she basically starts working in there and everybody really liked her and she not only learned how to make fancy hats which I can imagine were fantastic because yeah. I'm just like oh my god you know late 1700s hats in France oh shit like that sounds like a yeah. great job um but she was also learning like business skills she learned math and how to do bookkeeping and all this stuff 
And, and then, of course, so this is another one where this comes in where someone was fat shaming her. And so one article says, besides being somewhat heavy set, Lermond was short of stature and nondescript. And as a pragmatic young woman, she decided not to depend on marriage as a way to support herself. Um, which is also why, like, I really admire her. Like, she's shady as fuck. She is very much a charlatan. Like, fuck all y'all motherfuckers. But she's just like, yeah, no one's going to marry me. Like, I'm just going to become a boss-ass bitch for myself. Yeah. Uh, so she decided she wanted to further her psychic gifts. Um, and a lot, like, again, a lot of us, according to her. So according to her, when she was in the convent, she had the access to all these libraries. And so was, she was reading up on the Greek and the Roman oracles, the prophets of the Babylonians, the Druids of Europe. And so now she's in Paris and she wants to learn more about dream interpretation, horoscopes, and the Kabbalah. Um, and one article said, you know, while she made a point of learning palm reading or chiromancy, uh, which I think is the head one, or is that palms? I don't know. Uh, palm reading or chiromancy, she rejected such current fads as reading coffee grounds and egg wipes, as well as the reading of occult cards such as the tarot, which I'm going to get to in a second. But I also want to just bring out that egg wipes as a divination tool. <laughs> so like, and why like the whites and not the yolks? So I'm just picturing people like separating like chicken eggs. And it was like, so what did you, did you make like an omelet with the rest of it? Like, what are you, what are you doing with the rest of this? Did you eat it afterwards? And like, what can you divine from an egg white? Like, yeah. I had a lot of questions. I do tell, I don't really get it. Yeah. Uh, so while she was like, this is like, oh, she didn't like occult cards like tarot, uh, she really gets into cardomancy. So the idea of just reading cards and as one of her tools. Mm -hmm. And so now there is an entire famous, famous, I guess, but yeah, famous uh, line of divination, which is named after her. And so you can find the Lenormand decks. And these consist of 36 cards instead of the 78 that are in a normal arcana, with the major and the minor arcana canas and tarot uh, and each of these have an image on them and they're very specific so um instead of you know being like oh we're gonna have like the scales and the swords and the other things that relate to the the suits of cards these mm -hmm. are very specific like there's like a writer a snake a coffin the whip i love the whip um there's a fox and a bear and a fish and a cross there's no cat though and i was very disappointed i'm like you're gonna have like all these things there why don't you have a cat because i guess it would probably be like that's just like the shade card or the one you're like i just don't give a fuck and it's just like a picture of someone like knocking things off like someone's just gonna come knock shit off your table that would be yeah. the cat card like yeah yeah, yeah. Or there's like someone is no just gonna given. the no fucks given card or someone's just gonna ignore you and like you know but if I made a card, I would definitely made a cat card. Yeah. But anyway, so there's a whole thing that's come off of this. It became very popular after her death. But that was based off of a parlor game that was invented in Germany in the late 1790s called the Game of Hope. So, but theoretically, she was she was using this deck as part of what she was doing her divination with. But she combined a bunch of stuff. So she sets up her own business as a seeress. And she's working on the Rue de Tronach. And there, there's a sign on the door and it says bookseller. And but she wasn't selling books. I guess she couldn't just put like profit. And at that time right. you just been like second greetings, five dollars. I mean the picture of a palm on it. I guess you couldn't like do all that over then. my neighborhood. Yeah. And so uh, in the 1814, she starts writing self-published books, and so they're mailing to like 
publicizer, but she's telling like all the cool people that she talked to. And she claims that she was consulted by like all the revolutionary leaders of France, like Robespierre, Marat, uh, and other people. And said, oh, I said, you know, when they were going to die. Um, but she also said all of this like after they died. So she's like, yeah, I predicted that Marat yeah. was going to die, like, get, get headed here. But yeah, I, I saw that. Like, totally. It's here in my book. Can you tell? Um, and also, you know, she received a lot of letters from prisons, the best knowing the Bastille, um, which, you know, that's where um, during the French Revolution, the aristocrats got sent to be beheaded. Um, and one of these in 1794 came from a woman named Marie Joseph Rosé du de fuck Bo Bo like I Boharnay B E A U H R A T it's just like ah. <laughs> I just saw that come in like when you started I'm like hmm see where this goes and then we just bust out saying fuck in the middle of the name that's the greatness I'm sorry Boharnay I would appreciate your effort so Rose was the wife of a general who had come under suspicion during the reign of terror and was now imprisoned in Paris in the Bastille. Um, she wrote back to this woman stating that she would suffer terrible calamity, but she'd survive and that her future would be half she would get another husband. Mm. Um, and Rose had received a similar prediction from a fortune teller in Martinique, where she came from many years before. Um, her husband was guillotined on July 23rd. And fortunately for him, um, the reign of terror ended a couple of days later because that's when Rose Beer was killed. Um, and she was released from prison. So in 1795, Rose would meet Napoleon Bonaparte and he would nickname her Josephine and they would be married in 1796. Mm-hmm. So she became really good friends with the Empress Josephine before she was an empress. There are other versions of this. In one, um, she was actually in prison herself for um, com- conspiring to break Marie Antoinette out of prison. But I, like I said, there's two versions. One that Josephine wrote to her or the other one that they met in prison and that's when she did the prediction so but hmm. either way she really uh Littermont becomes a very popular reader for the ladies of both the Bourbon and the Napoleonic courts and for various politicians they also say that the chief of police would um and another pre- and the prince well, some French prince uh was also consulting her but they're like you know probably she was not they were probably not re- relying on her for clairvoyance or like hey you're talking to all the people of court and you probably have a lot of juicy secrets and you know she's like yeah of course I have juicy secrets I like all these women are like coming to me um so really I mean but like wealthy women aristocrats everybody um are just going to her salon and there was you know many hours to wait to get in and people would pay top dollars just to see her and there's also reports that carriages are parked in front of her door every day of the week and at times the crowd was so big that the police would have to come break it up so um angry French police which is always like oh, no, you must move on you cannot park your carriage here you <laughs> I'm just like stoked about like what a saleswoman she is, fucking hustler. Yeah, she is a fucking hustler. And so the first thing I want to talk about why she was a shady badass. I'm just like, oh, I appreciate your hustle and your shade. Uh, so one. 
it was claimed that uh, she predicted the divorce of Napoleon and Josephine. Uh, most impressively, this claim was made by her. Okay. Uh, she said, you know, hey, in 1807, I pre prepared a horoscope for Napoleon, which included this prediction. And this is true. She did write a horoscope for Napoleon. Uh, this written horoscope was confiscated by the police when she was arrested on December 11th, 1809, five days before the civil dissolution of the marriage was publicly announced and but more than likely napoleon had her arrested because like josephine would not make decisions without her so anytime she had a crisis of conscience or anything she wanted to know she would consult lenamar and she'd be like oh let me know so more than likely napoleon was like shit i'm gonna divorce her so i need to get this bitch out of the way so right. i can get through so whatever whatever deviousness this woman's doing won't be in the way uh but so in the first book that Lenormand wrote it's called Les Souvenirs Prophétiques de Un Sibyl and, 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 and whatever I don't know <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, she wrote what she called an accurate extract of the horoscope. So this book was actually published in 1814, which was after jo Josephine had died. Lucky for her. And Napoleon was an Elba. So he was banished to an island. Josephine's dead. And she writes a book and she's like, bitch, I predicted this all. I had it all. I told, I told him it was coming. I told him it was yeah. coming. Look here. And she was like, look, here is the horoscope. And it was edited because there were some writing mistakes. So, you know, they just, she had to fix some things because her handwriting was hard to read. Uh, so, mm, and, you, know, this, you know, in late 1807, though, when she wrote the horoscope for Napoleon, that basically had this, you know, saying, you're going to get divorce from from Josephine there was already talk throughout the court that they were having marriage troubles and right. they're divorced so like any good fortune teller is like oh I should put this in here because this is going to happen but yeah her main claim is that she predicted the time frame because it's like 24 moons or like basically says when I write this to eight in 1807 two years later is when this is going to happen but uh Luckily, they said some things were edited <laughs> after the fact, so the timeline was something that probably would have gone there. Um, and we do know that Josephine, uh, in Josephine was informed in November that the divorce was going to go ahead, and she likely contacted Marie like immediately. It was like, "Oh my God, husband's going to leave me. What do yeah. I do?" And then she's like, "I don't know. Your husband dismissed me." Mm -hmm. um, so, and when she published a horoscope, you know, in 1814, she was just like, well, no one's going to dig out this police report from 1809, so I'm just going to put whatever I want in it. Uh, so, but even though after, so even though she was part of the Napoleonic court, she still retained her celebrity status. A lot of this because she's like, hey, I have this book here. And, you know, clearly I, I predicted all these things. All these French people are dying. So, Penny, keep coming to me, keep sending money. Uh, she also wrote like a, a memoir of her and Josephine's friendship. And one of Josephine's sisters is like, this is complete and utter trash. Like this is nothing to do with like our, what was going on. But good for you. Just being like, cool. Like you want to know all the scoop on Josephine? I have it. I was a personal advisor. Buy my yeah. book. Buy my book. Call me now. Um, right. So the other one that the other case of her being a super shady like bad ass bitch was the Edinburgh letters in Edinburgh, depending like I you know I get learn some good Scottish shit here. Man, too, but we're all right, <laughs> got French and Scottish tonight. 
all of my best accents are just going to come to the fort. But so in 1812, uh, Marie made connections with a young woman who had the best name, Fortunata, which is also if you've been like watching like a ton of RuPaul's Drag Race, you're just like this sounds like a total drag name. <laughs> my drag name is Fortunata. So if I ever go in drag, that'll be my name. Um, so in 1812, this woman was recently married to an Englishman named Alexander Humphreys. And at the time, he was an English prisoner of war in France. Basically, while wars are going on between the English, the English and the French, occasionally the English would be over in France and then they'd be like, you're not a prisoner of war. And sometimes they would actually be prisoners or other times they were just, you just can't go back to England. You have to stay here. So this chick marries him, but she was already like going to Littermon for advice and just to become really good friends with him. So once they get married, she's like, oh, you have to go to Marie for a reading. Yeah. And Marie is like, you know, you're going to have a brilliant fortune, but you're going to have to go through some trials and tribulations first. So one fact that Marie had probably been made well aware of was that Humphrey's mom had told him that he was a descendant of Sir William Alexander, the first early, er, Erling, the first Earl of Sterling in Scotland. And Erling, they, Erling makes sense. Like Erling makes sense, yeah. And so as a part of that, like their family was supposed to be entitled to huge tracts of land in Canada, US, and Scotland. So he comes to Littermond with, you know, with, for the reading and she's like, she had kind of has, likely had this information in her back pocket and I was like you know you're gonna become famous you're gonna have to go through some shit and he was like wait I'm supposed to be an earl this just confirms it all right we're gonna make me an earl so he starts you know going going and trying to prove all this stuff so um one of the problems was that with this title, there was a stipulation that the inheritance had to pass through the male line. Um, so even though his mom was, even if she was a descendant, she's not a male, so it didn't follow. She's her not a man. But luckily, <laughs> Humphreys knew of a charter and this what? charter called the Royal Charter of Novodomus um, was made in 1639 by King Charles I, was said to have altered this condition to allow heir female to take up the peerage and grants of land. Mm. But unfortunately, it was stolen, so nobody had a copy of the original book. Wow. So weird when that happens. So weird. But so lucky for Humphreys, he found a copy of it, an abridged version that said, oh, no, this is real. So lucky for him. Uh, uh, lucky. I know he, he, you're going to find he's got a lot of luck, man. Just, just the luckiest man that ever existed. Uh, so he's going through all these things to make him the heir. And but, you know, lawyers and all this shit aren't free. So one of the ways that he is doing this is he's taking loans on his inheritance, basically saying, like, hey, I can take, like, if you loan me 13,000 pounds, I'll give you 50,000 pounds when I get my inheritance. Oh. And they're like, oh, cool. Um, so people are giving him money to fight for this. So 
yeah. people, rich people get away with everything is probably one of the, the things, the running themes that may come out of it. Uh, so he basically starts throwing all this stuff and they're like, okay, cool. You are heir. You're going to be the first Earl of Sterling. And, you know, sure, maybe you're going to get this land. So Humphreys like is now like at this point, just like selling off this land. And but there were some okay. people who objected to it. Like, you know, the people who lived on it. And oh, weird. It. <laughs> you know, like they're like, hey, there's this huge part of Canada. Like, it's mine. Come by. And people are living there, like, but, but, but I own this. Okay. Like, you can't. Yeah. And like, especially even like Canada and US are far off, but the people in Scotland were like, whoa, bitch. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. You don't get to own my land. Mm-hmm. And they, they are very angry Scottish people. And they're like, no, fuck you, sir. You can, you whore. This is my favorite thing to say in, in Scot- my Scottish accent. You whore. <laughs> you cannot have this land. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but in, in December in 1836, after all these people complained, they're like, uh, the courts are finally like, maybe you're not the Earl. And they stripped him of his quote unquote title. And he fed to, he fed, he fled to Paris under a false name and a false passport. Uh, so he's there from, um, while he's there from 1836 to 1837, he was in regular contact with Mademoiselle Lenormand. Uh, of course he was. Yeah, and one of the porters at our house was just like, yeah, man, he was there like two hours every night. And he was like, no, no, I wasn't there. Like, I don't, I don't know. But, you know, she did ask me to come visit her this one night. It was a specific night. It was on July 12th, 1837. She asked me to come over and she was like, man, I've got this map. And it's this map of Canada and all the inscriptions on the back like prove all the shit that you've been saying. And, you know, like I just got this map, you know, it was left to my office by like these two well-dressed ladies and they came to have their fortunes told, but she didn't know their names because they they gave an audience because, you know, they're rich women and they didn't want to leave their names. Of course. Um, That'd be too convenient. And also like within there, there was a, a, a letter anonymously <laughs> saying what? that the sender like held a high position, which made it necessary for them to withhold their identity, his or her. <laughs> it could be a woman, it could be a man, mm-hmm. we don't know. Uh, but they understood that Lenormand had a great obligation um, to Humphrey. So they thought like, you know, hey, this, this could be useful. You should have this. Uh, and there are a lot of things back and forth that are going. So the map itself was genuine right it's an actual okay. map uh made in 1703 it really is of canada Woohoo! we got a, oh. a map of canada and they were like this is where you go get your poutine this is where celine dion's gonna be married this is where uh, the this is where the mounties hang out the mounties are gonna be over here you know uh so but all like the hand notes and the other things that were glued to the back of the map um you know they those were never actually shown to be to be real. Um, there were actually some things that proved them to be quite fake, including just they just basically took some people who were like, no, no, all this shit's not real. Uh, so basically, uh, when Humphrey submitted this and also some other documents that he luckily found to to mm-hmm. stake his claim, the Scotland authorities are like, you know. Something smells a little fishy. Wait, that's no, that became Irish. I don't know. I can't think. Yeah, I, weird. I don't know what fishy is. It's fishy. No, I don't know. Haggis. 
I'm just gonna say haggis over and over again. Freedom! Um, <laughs> Freedom and haggis. <laughs> Freedom, yeah. So I uh, he's you know, they basically then like Lerman is getting called into the police and they're like, How did you get this map? And she's like, I told you these two ladies like left it there. And they're like, oh, Obviously. Oh, oh, okay. Uh and so eventually Humphreys was actually arrested. So they arrest this guy and they search his house and of uh, the something called the crown agents. I love the game like agents of the crown, which sounds like the most like badass detectives ever. And, and you know they were not. It they're was not. just, you know, it was they're just not. Bob. So, you know, Bob is there, but while they're there, they find these buttload of letters between Humphreys and Lenormand, and also a private financial deed that said uh, he would pay her 400,000 francs plus interest at 5% from the date of the agreement. So... Oh. This kind of goes back to so she um, she may have had a like may have had a vested interest in him becoming she may have had a vested interest. So what's interesting about this is that Humphreys actually says, Oh no, she just loaned me all this money, and right. that's why that is there. So they actually think that agreement was something that was planned by Humphreys. So it can't just be like this verbal agreement of like this is why like we're friends. It was just she loaned me money. This is why like money has been going back and forth between us not because she is helping me forge things to get my inheritance. So he was, he was brought to trial in April of 1839. Uh, and basically they were charging him with forging the charter, um, forging the writings in the back of the map of Canada, and then other documents that he was using to advance his claims. Um, and then the letters they found between them were put and put into court to be like this proof that all the shit's fake. So he had a lot of friends that were in the court and likely on the jury because mm. uh, he was real rich. So the jury is sort of like, you know, this charter, we get, yeah, it was forged, but we can't prove that Humphreys did it. Mm. And they're like, well, this map, like the map is real, but we can't prove that the other things are, that it, the notes are forged. And all your other documents, we can't prove they're forged. So they say that Humphrey faints as a little bitch that he was. He was carried out of the courtroom, but while he was gone, the judge just dropped all the charges against him. Oh. So he goes- So wait, he fainted like a bitch and got charges dropped? Like that's some bullshit. Like, and it's some bullshit. This is some rich He fainted ass. like a bitch before they even came out with the verdict. Like if they like found him guilty and like, like had some crazy ass sentence, and saying okay but no just feeling like a bitch yeah. just because uh, oh y'all said mean things about me and i might get in trouble in the faint now yeah. so basically he gets off scot-free he doesn't get his title his title um he doesn't get his title um but you know he also like has all this like i didn't i'm sure i can delve further into this and apparently this case is very well known in scotland but it's uh, not well known anywhere else but this is like it was like a 30 year old like ongoing thing of like the, yeah. the, the arguments over this land. So I didn't know what happened with all the money that he borrowed from people. I'm assuming they didn't get paid back. That's just, that's just my thought. I uh, bet not. Yeah. yeah so sure he didn't have a lot of friends after this, but he probably also did not return their money. Well, I mean, I think he probably had friends until he lost all his money, right? And so that I am curious, like once they were like, you're no longer, you're not a lord, you don't have any money and it's hard to maintain friends when you don't 
well, you can maintain friends if you're a normal person, but those type of friends you can't maintain right. if you don't have the, the friends that you bought are hard to maintain when you when you bought them with your fake prestige and yeah. promises of wealth. It's hard to maintain those friendships when you don't have those things anymore. So basically, like she doesn't get charged, she doesn't, he doesn't go to jail, like everybody is free. Um, unfortunately, though, like a few years after this, in 1843, uh, little Marcy does die. Uh, she said she was going to live to 125. Unfortunately for her, that that was not the case. She was in her 70s, though, which it, for this time period seems like a girl. pretty good for you, girl. Like you may have through your 70s, and is that because she never got married? <laughs> Yeah. So when she died, uh, she apparently, she was just a rich bitch when she died. She'd already given 300,000 francs to one of her nieces and she left another 500,000 francs in, uh, in land holdings and other shit, which ended up going to her nephew who apparently was sort of a dick, but he was Lieutenant, um, Lieutenant Alexandre Hugo, Hugo of the French African army. So he was a colonizing bitch. Um, but her funeral was magnificent. Magnifique was it was um, Ma- magnifique, magnifique. It was magnifique. Uh, the, it was at the church of Saint Jacques de Hauts, and it was hung all with white. And the choir was. This is what it says: a sumptuous cattle fuck. I don't know what the cattle fuck is. C is C A T. It was a cattle fuck. C A T A F A L Q U E. So I'm sure that's something French. I don't know. Um, but basically it was like draped in all this fabric. There was candles everywhere. The funeral car was drawn by four white horses that had silver harnesses and flying streamers. And it moved slowly down the street. So mourners and women who are following the carriage and large go behind it. And her grave in the I'm not going to say the name. Her grave is in a cemetery in Paris. I'm not going to say the name of the cemetery because I can't. Um, but it's still, it's still tend, like people still leave flowers and tributes there to this yeah. day. So you can go there and you can visit her her gravestone. And I just wanted to leave on like this, this her story, which is just like one of the things that makes me like, God damn, woman, you were, you were hardcore. She once said that she once wrote that she heard a voice. So <laughs> she once heard that one of the people who told her things, but it was actually whoever, if it was a spirit or just her own self telling her this, uh, she said, no one is excused for lacking courage. Cowardice must be punished. Perseverance alone is entitled to the reward, which should be the portion of a s- sincere friend of his government. So... I thought it was a pretty badass quote. And she just basically said, you, you're in this on your own. You want to be important. You, you've got to persevere and work hard. So she was a badass shady bitch and her legacy still lives on. You can buy those, like I said, those cards are still an important part of divination. And that is the story of the original Miss Cleo. <laughs> Call me now. Call me now. I like it. So... It's interesting, like, so I've actually been to, I've only been to one cemetery in Paris, but I'm going to do a quick, quick, quick side story. I promise it won't take long. But it's one of my family's favorite stories that we like to tell. So we went to the one where Jim Morrison's buried and also Chopin and a few, and I don't remember the name of it because I was fucking 16 years old. So it was a long time ago. Sorry, guys. Were you but super it, punk? Did you have a mohawk when oh, you went? Uh, so I got stopped like at multiple airports. We had a crazy route to get to there. And I was wearing my steel-toed boots because of course I was. Because that's what, it, that was a good idea to go on international travel. By the way, it's pain in the ass through metal detectors because this was before you did body scanners everything was a metal detector anyway so and yes i had short spiky hair 
and I had I, sp I smoked my first cigar and I had a beer with my dad and it was really cool. I had like plaid pants and like vintage t-shirts on and very spiky hair and studded everything. So anyways, but we went to Jim Morrison's grave because like we was kind of growing up the cemetery. We saw like the famous graves who were doing that. And we stopped at Jim Morrison's. And so it's had like somebody had written the end in cigarette butts at the bottom of the, of the grave, which is like, oh, somebody's so clever. But anyways, but the funniest thing was this woman. And I know this was before like everybody had a digital Wait, camera. I, I, I'm going to pause you there because that's real gross. If those were not your cigarettes, you dug through butts. <laughs> wrote the end. I didn't do it. It was. I know, like but that. I'm like, whoever, whoever that person was, that's disgusting. Yeah. Well, I had a guard at it too. So I don't know like how. Maybe they brought them. I don't know. But I'm this person, this girl was crying and had a disposable camera in her hand. And she kept taking a picture and then winding it. I, I have to take a picture for each of my friends. And she kept taking pictures. And I'm like, I know this is like before like digital cameras, but you could still get like multiple prints of the same photo at this point in time. This is the book in 90s. It was not like the dark ages where you're doing like one, even if you did like old ass black and white prints, you could do more than one print of a photo. Uh, and my mom and I did this day. Like, my mom, like my, my mom loves this story. Yeah. She tells it all the time because it just cracks her up. And it is funny. It, it is though. It's fucking hysterical. <laughs> and it's like, okay, this one's for Bill. This one's for Maria. Like, it's a, like, it's just, like you can take, same, you can take like, like one or two and pick the best one. I mean, this was, you know, you couldn't have a viewfinder and shit, but I mean, well, you, and you just take it to fucking you go to Eckerd's which doesn't exist yeah. anymore and you say I need 20 of this one like Wait, it's not that hard I'm also just imagining the person at Eckerd's who is developing this and like what okay there's but also somebody at Eckerd's had to develop all my they had to develop a real stoned kid that he went to school with working at the yeah. Eckerd photo section so well, I'm, I'm not going to lie, though. Some kid in Eckers had to develop, like, multiple pictures that I took at cemeteries. But I, they were individual, like, they were different ones. They were artistic this pictures. One person students. crying <laughs> and taking picture after picture of the same. Like, they weren't even, like, moving around and getting different angles, okay? Like, that even might have got a pass. They were, like, standing in the same spot, crying <laughs> and taking, like, like, a whole disposable camera full of photos. Yeah, I also wish it was like some sort of stop like animation. She was like changing the end and like making this. You know. okay, then I would, I would have to credit that, but they were I crying. So I that, but yeah. Like that. Anyway, so. All right. There we Paris, go. Paris, Paris, cemeteries and, and tacos. Like, I guess you can't get tacos. Cemeteries and, cemeteries and baguettes. <laughs> That's more like a taco. Cemeteries and crepes. Yes. Yeah. We'll do that next time we go to France. All right. So where we were at. Um, so so now we're where Ellen. Oh, so we've got Ellen's going to call Dean and say, like, and play off. I promised I wouldn't tell Sam where you, where he was going or wouldn't tell you. I promised Sam I wouldn't tell you where he was, but I'm going to tell you anyways, of course. Did you notice what was on the pole behind her? So while she's she's basically calling on like the roadhouse's payphone or house yeah. phone, whatever it is, Roadhouse. and roadhouse. And behind her, there is like a one flyer that says, This is a cult, don't be fooled. And underneath it was a page torn out of yellow pages with ads for psychics and fortune tellers. That's funny. I missed that. That's greatness. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. So we cut back to Ava and Sam in his motel room. And she's like, just, she just wants him to, she's like, leave fucking town. This is stupid. You're going to die if you stay here. And I'm just a secretary from Peoria about to get married. 
I don't think we're actually connected in any way, shape or form. I just happen to have this dream and I just think you should leave town, which is kind of like even more like, honestly, it's almost more nonsensical. If there's not a connection, like, no, no, I just had this dream, but there's no connection. I don't, I don't have any psychic shit, but I just saw this and you need to leave. So you don't die. It's like, oh, okay, that's weird. But so he talks her into kind of staying to figure it out and help out. Um, so we see her going to meet Dr. Wexler, who is the doctor we saw in the first scene. And she's like super awkward and nervous. She is not good at this game that uh, Sam and, and Dean are so good at about like pretending to like be people or have whatever they infiltrate shit. And there's a very weird scene where like Sam is on the windowsill, like trying to sneak in the window. And then you hear this and she like gasps and you hear like this bizarre like bird flutter noise. <laughs> it's a really weird sound effect that made very distracting to me. So much so I had to rewind and listen to it again. Anyways, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so they get back to the motel and basically, she, oh, you, what did she missed. say? Oh, her, her, her suicide attempt when she had. Um, yeah, she's rock. like. I remember when I was a kid, I swallowed like eight things of Pop Rocks and then drank a whole can of Coke. You don't think that counts as a suicide attempt. Okay, so I have to look up because this is one of my favorite myths of Pop Rocks and, and, and soda. Pop Rocks. So the candy processors of Pop Rocks, uh, so they basically made them, the way they work is that the people who invented them figured out that you could trap extra amounts of carbon dioxide inside of sugar. Yeah. So when it dissolves in your mouth, that carbon dioxide is released yeah. and it makes that sparkling sound. And so it's just like drinking soda or beer or whatever. But so a package, an entire package contains less carbonation than half a can of soda. Um, and so Adam Savage and Jamie on Mythbusters, yeah. I, I was listening like Mythbusters, you know, Mythbusters. Uh, so on Mythbusters, they tested this in 2003. And so they poured six cans of soda and six pouches of Pop Rocks into a pig's stomach. And the stomach grew to three times its original size, oh, God. but it but it did not explode. So they're like, it's busted. But I'm like, damn, well, I guess your stomach can expand really big. And I guess if you go on the website, they're like, all you will get is a healthy belch. Uh, but so that's pop rocks and soda. Try it at home, kids. See how much you can you can ingest and see what terrible happens. Idea. It's a terrible idea. Don't do that. You're gonna be so sick. Your stomach is gonna hurt so bad. So do it gassy. anyways. So gassy. Do it. Eat, eat the pop rocks. Drink the soda. Eat the pop rocks. We're gonna need a fucking disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer on this episode. We keep telling people to do bad things. Anyways, like, call See? a fucking psychic. Eat some pop rocks. Drink sodas. It's all gonna be fine, motherfuckers. If you're gonna steal a car, steal. Make sure you steal take, a second take car. Take your car out. You can't drive the same one too long. But you make sure the trunk's loaded with pop rocks and fucking sodas because you want to be able to slam those and- nonstop the whole way. <laughs> This is like, as you're committing suicide, yeah, and then you're buried in a French cemetery and some chick will take pictures of you over and over again. <laughs> anyway, so we go back to the motel oh, and my gosh. I is yeah. so excited that she just did crime. She's just... <laughs> she's very excited she acts all like awkward at first he's like are you okay and she's like hell yeah that was fucking amazing i just helped you seal psychic someone's private psychic files anyway so they're listening to the tapes uh they start listening to the tapes and as you like they're doing that and you cut dean has just pulled dean has just pulled in the parking lot with baby and he sees them and and then he's like oh damn i had to make some skeezy comics he sees a chick as he sees ava in the room with with sam but how did like sam was like looking out the window and he didn't fucking see dean and baby dumb anyways 
Um, yeah, yeah, well, but, we've, Sam's kind of oblivious to like important shit sometimes. Like, I'm like, oh, nobody's outside, but I can't see this giant Impala. <laughs> my my brother's giant Impala, not just an Impala. Anyways, so they're listening. Sam and Ava continue listening to the tape, and they hear that uh, they hear Scott saying that the yellow-eyed man says that he has plans. There's a war coming, and people like me will be the soldiers. So they're both kind of like freaking out, and then I almost jumped off the sofa and scared the dogs. <laughs> Because this is the time where somebody has started shooting into their motel room. So it's a sniper, you see glass shattering, and then we cut. Well, and, and luckily, see... Sam just ducked down, like, right when this was going through. Because yeah. I was like, how is Gordon missing this? Like, here, like, what, did you take yeah. shooting lessons from Sam? Like, what the Apparently fuck? Like, he, yeah. yeah. I think he just likes, he likes sharp things better than long distance sniping. Maybe. Think, but yeah. Uh, anyway, so it's fucking Gordon, that that asshole. Um, and so Dean shows up on the roof where he's trying to snipe Sam from and jumps on him. They fight, but he knocks no, him No, he down. kicked him in the face. Like, it was a great face kick. It was like, boom. It was like, sack you in the face. Boom. Maybe uncomfortable. I didn't like it. Anyway, so a few, like, we cut to Sam and Ava now. They've figured out where the shots were coming from because the shots obviously stopped. And it, no, this is Detective Sam. Oh God, yeah. I know he finds the casings left behind. And he's like, oh, it's a 223 subsonic rounds. And they must have been using a suppressor. Yeah, so he has his detective head. I, I deduce. Yeah. So and she's like, what the fuck? Why do you know this shit? And he's like, makes some like terrible like joke about watching a lot of TJ Hooker. Yeah, which is also a reference that would be lost on the majority of people that exist in this world today. Um, I have I have no idea the last time I saw like a TJ Hooker episode or was, it's not was one, that it's not Sha- one that gets replayed? I don't was even know. Shatner? What that I don't even know. I don't remember. I don't look at it, but yeah, I think it may, it may have been Shatter, but it was so, a very popular TV show. So now that he's getting shot at, now he's going to break down and call Dean for help. But as we all know, Dean's been fucking like kicked in the goddamn face. And so he's probably been kidnapped by Gordon. But Sam doesn't know that. He thinks he's just finally caving and calling his brother. So this is that's this is my annoyance with their relationship, you know, like I do sometimes. Yeah, it was Shatner. It was Shatner and Heather Locklear. Yeah, Ooh, 1982 right. to 1986. Okay, sorry, go on. Fuck your town. So, yeah, Dean, Dean answers the phone, but you can tell, like, I mean, like, obviously, he's being, like, for us, he's being held hostage by Gordon. And Sam can tell because they he uses their code word, which is funky town, which is also a nickname for Fort Worth, if you want to know your tech. I did references. not know that. Oh, yeah, people call Fort Worth funky town all the time. Personally, when I was in Fort Worth, I fucking hated it and thought it was the stupidest. Not, I didn't hate Fort Worth. I hated the nickname funky town. It was stupid. Did you prefer Cowtown? No, I liked Panther City. Way cooler. And that is the well, only nickname for Fort Worth. Is, I didn't that make why, it up. is that why your derby name was Panther? Panther City Princess, PCP, 817. I did not know that was why you called it. <laughs> Today I learned. You learned. There's there's two legends as to why, but anyways. Yeah, I and so I think Diana, you need to post a picture of yourself and your roller, derby, my roller gear. derby. Oh god, roller derby gear. Somebody just posted somebody just like posted an old one, like a flashback one on, on Facebook the other day of me. So all right, I'll find one. And and remind me if we have time. I know we're going long, so I won't I won't take down the 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 Panther City story now. But remind me another day, and I will tell you the story of Panther City, which is the baddest ass nickname for a city like Fort Worth, way cooler than Cowtown or Funky Town. But yeah, hey, maybe so, if they ever if they ever go back to Texas, we need one. You can do a lore on Panther City. There we go. 
I like it. So that's their code word. I like, I, I was amused that that was that. So anyways, um, so Dean gives Sam an address and he's writing it obviously on the fucking Blue Rose Motel notepad, which goes back to the fucking vision. So we're all, here we go, circle. We're, we're seeing the vision happen now, right? Um, so um, Dean, you cut to Dean and Gordon and Dean's very amused with himself about how he left uh, Gordon tied up when after the, the vampire's thing and uh basically gordon just insists that like hey i'm not a killer i'm a hunter and sam is fair game because sam's gonna turn into a bad guy that's evil so yeah so um ava's trying to talk we come back to sam and ava ava's trying to talk sam out of going after her because it's like look you're gonna go literally to the address that i saw you die at this is a terrible fucking idea sam's like too bad gotta go bitch let's go so um he sends her home. He did, though, yeah, he her, does send her away. He, he, he sends her in a little Volkswagen, and which is very well restored by the way. The interior was pretty slick. Uh, he puts her in that and he uh, says, I'll call you afterwards. So um, we cut back to Gordon and, and, and Dean. And basically, he's talking, telling some story about he was at some exorcism in Louisiana and this demon um, through the person that was possessed was saying something about the coming war um and uh then he's very flippant about the fact that the girl that was possessed just died and dean actually gets kind of mad about that and calls him the son of a bitch which is kind of a funny moment because he calls him the son of a bitch dean calls gordon the son of a bitch and gordon just like stops talking like very calmly goes over and just like pops sam in the fucking or sorry dean. pops dean in the fucking face sorry pops dean in with the a face. rifle yeah and uh he's like <laughs> he said don't talk about my mom <laughs> i was like oh shit that's a lot what you're talking about yeah and i think also at this point gordon says and it's, you know i'm sorry i quoted the whole thing but yes. so it's like you know, the demons tell me there are soldiers who fight in this coming war humans fighting on hell side you believe that i mean they're psychic so they're not exactly pure humans but still what kind of worthless scumbag have you got to be to turn against your own race I'm like what the fuck dude i'm like that is that's damn like especially coming from a black man (laughs) to say this i'm like you said this out loud and he didn't well but it goes back to his he lives like not not even talking about not obviously talking about race his race or anything but he's 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 a world very black and white there is no gray area in his world and we established that when we first met him when him and dean were talking before and that's kind of what dean was kind of like bonding with him and then started being like whoa 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 this is a little too like everything's there is a gray area a little bit dean started acknowledging in there so yeah it's pretty effed up so but basically but i also think it, well sorry not to harp on this no, but yeah. it's interesting that they had a black man say like i wonder if it was on purpose that they didn't have if, if a white man had said this like i think it would have been a very unless it's a very different overtone but it becomes a much different thing like the out the metaphor would probably change and maybe get confused and that's why i don't know like i'm just it's a very it's a very distinct line right i know i thought i thought it was very distinct but i didn't take it that way i i didn't at all uh and that's not we're just not where my mind went that's not but it is i mean it's a really good observation i was going it just more to me solidified his perception of there is no gray area there's good there's evil and that's it yeah this is just more of that for him i didn't i didn't go as as deep in the metaphor as you did but well i mean and almost all of you know 
I would say supernatural is a genre, not supernatural right. show. Right. Like, almost all of these things where you have monsters versus humans, like all of it, you generally is some sort of reflection on society. Right. And so having this there. Whether it be religion or or wars or yeah. whatever it may be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so, I mean, for me, for the, the line to be that specific, it really did make me wonder. Anyway, mm-hmm. so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So we get... Um, basically the de- yeah so that's that's what the demon the, the demon in this possessed girl that now is dead that gordon didn't seem very concerned about uh shared with dean dean basically says that you're a fucking moron you don't know what you're talking about and gordon's like uh no i know about sam's visions and dean tries to cover for it unsuccessfully but we get like this little back and forth and basically we you know gordon's like i've got my own you've got your roadhouse connections i've got my own connections so now dean's kind of like processing and you see this come in too that like has he have they been betrayed by ellen and the roadhouse in general but anyways um so gordon knows and no well there's a funny moment we we do get the admission that um gordon killed scotty and he's like well did he had he killed a person yet and it's like no he just killed a cat mr mr tinkles the cat yeah the only victim was mr tinkles the cat so mr tinkles r.i.p poor poor mr tinkles yeah so gordon assumed and figured out that dean would have warned sam so um he uh tells him his whole plan with the tripwires and everything else and yeah ha 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 i know this is happening yeah so anyways, so we see um, Gordon set up the tripwire with the grenade, which is from Ava's visions. So we're seeing all this build up to fruition of what she envisioned. Dean's tied up and is trying to talk uh, Gordon out of this, but he's basically like, Gordon, there's no talking him out of it. Sam's going to become a monster and that's it. So we no, need Sam's to Sam's going to become Hitler is what basically what Jordan oh, says. Gordon's like, what? So if you had like a... Right. He's he's a that he, terrible he, he example. First, first he says baby time, Hitler. Time, yeah, it's the time, tra- just the time traveler advent, like question that, yeah. question that everybody asks. Like, if you could go back in time and you could kill baby Hitler, would you kill him? Or if you could kill, you know, art, art artist Hitler before he was... Well, yeah, those pa- those paintings were awful, and you should have been killed for them. But yeah, I mean, but also this like, well, are you taking this a little far? Like, you just compared Sam to Hitler, like. I, I, I think that's but, a very, and I think it's a very flawed ethical conversation, but that's okay. Either way, um, I, mean, I think that also shows like Gordon's state of mind that this is such right. a big thing that he is so evil. He is as bad as Hitler. Well, and Gordon just has like every, and like everything that is moderately supernatural influence to him is un unredeemable. Yeah. And that's just it. Totally irredeemable. If it is if it is not one hundred percent human and explainable, it is irredeemable. And that's it. And that's Gordon's mindset. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyways. Uh yeah. So at the vision point, is playing out yeah the vision is playing out sam gets to the house we see all that and you you, you know your heart sinks a little bit because well hold on you know there's a lot more seasons so and, and even if you didn't know even if you like were just watching it in real time you know that sam ain't dead because they had just done this great long teaser about the second half <laughs> of the season that, that is on youtube still that shows a lot more episodes but anyways uh, but yes, so you see an explosion take place. Your stomach drops just because it, you're invested in the episode. And uh, Dean's like crying out and it's very stressful. And then Gordon says, not yet. Wait and see. 
and there's a second explosion because so because we didn't see that in the vision we only saw one explosion in the vision but um so gordon walks in sees the smoking boot on the ground and then wait no. he he walks back there with his rifle right with a fucking rifle and i'm like why have you not switched to a handgun what is wrong with you're, you why are you quarters now this close is quarters like you can't take a long gun back there it's so easy for you and as we'll see for you to get overpowered with a long gun in short in short combat situations absolutely yeah so rifles are for long distance pistols are for short distance anyways um so there's they have Sam is there, has a has a pistol to um, Gordon's head, and um, anyways, he make Gordon makes a bad joke about not because he had seen the smoking boot on the ground. Makes a bad joke about not taking your shoes off in there. Can get get, get tetanus or ringworms. Like no, no, walk around barefoot in those places. Yeah, no, you're gonna you're gonna. That's how you get worms. But of course, Sam, with his fucking conscience, hesitates to shoot Gordon. Yep, and so we get to have a fight. So we get a fight scene. And um, and Gordon, there the big fight scene, and he, Gordon tells Sam, "You're no better than the filthy things you hunt," which I thought that was like a really mean thing to say. It is. It was a terrible one, but it also shows just like the the amount of disdain, like yeah. filthy things you hunt. Like that's uh, like it's 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 quite yeah. a line. Yeah. So um, he's trying to stab him. They they keep fighting, blah blah blah. But Sam's not. Sam just ha- keeps resisting shooting Gordon. Which at this point, also, I, my my argument against Sam like bitching out on this is like he's always worried about like, well, have they killed anybody or what have they done? This motherfucker has killed a bunch of folks and like supernatural or and human. That even the supernatural, not all the supernatural ones were bad. This guy's just like so like black and white. Anyways. Fuck Gordon, but there we go. Um, yeah, so they Sam manages to knock him out instead of shoot him. So Sam goes and get, um, you know unties Dean and like Dean's like fuck it, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go kill this motherfucker like he should. Yeah, and one thing that also before like when he's like all the shit that's going back and forth about the killer things, I think what you're alluding to is that Gordon says, "Show your brother the killer you really are, Sammy." Oh, yeah. And that's it was just like, true. it was, yeah. And then Sam ends up knocking him out with a gun, just like he knocked out Dean. And he mm-hmm. was like, it's Sam. Like the name is Sam, bitch. And like, just him Sammy. Yeah, I was like, you don't get to call Dean. Only Dean can that. call me Sammy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly uh, so anyway sam wants to go or dean wants to go kill gordon and sam's like no nah, we just need to get the fuck out and he's like it's taken care of okay sam how many times has sam said that and it's not taken care of but okay i feel like but, this you anyways but they're walking out of the house and, and i get so mad oh yeah i know you were so mad too i know you were mad you're already laughing so i know you're mad so they're running out of the front of the house they're running across the front yard and Gordon is coming out behind them with a pistol in each hand, shooting at them sideways. He's holding the pistol sideways. Like, this is not boys in the hood. What the fuck are we doing here? This is not how you shoot a gun. Anybody that this is garbage television, fake gangster bullshit when you hold a gun sideways. Well, I'm not saying I actually that. did that in there. I'm just saying. I was just like so mad. I'm like, this motherfucker would know. He He's sniping people yesterday. He knows to not hold a gun sideways. You don't turn a pistol sideways and shoot it. 
Well, and also at this point, you finally found your handguns. Like, where the fuck were those like an hour ago? Right. And then, and I don't know if I've told the story so on here bad. before so about. So I used to be a range safety officer at a gun range. So I was, and it was a public gun range. So I saw like the world's <laughs> stupidest people come because, you know, you know, it's Texas. So everyone, everybody and their child gets to have a gun. Um, the birthright. It is. You know, so I'm actually like was walking one day and I walked up behind this guy that literally had a gun in each hand and was shooting at the targets, Yosemite Sam style. And unfortunately, like you guys, you know, this is you can't see the video of my hands going back and forth. And I was just like, no, motherfucker. Like, what the hell do you think you're doing? And he wasn't it was, either. It like, is, wait, hold on. They weren't sideways, though, right? Because that's they what were, like they were par- not sideways. Where you hold the but- pistol parallel to the ground. Yeah, but like also you were is- never oh. going to have, like, why would you have a gun in each hand and then shoot one and then the other? And it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? Much like Gordon is doing here, too. Just like, why Finger are you, guns like... Enough. It's like pew, 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 pew. Like, but it's just like, I was like, why? This is the stupidest thing. Wait, hold on. Were those revolvers or pistols? Because that sounds fun. I don't remember. remember (laughs) Because now I want to do that because I'm an asshole. Yeah, no, don't, don't. At a range, like not at a person. Don't do that at a range. Your your range safety officer will come up behind you and tell you you're fucking I got to find some empty land. Noted. Okay. You can't do that. If you do that at my ranch, I, I will punch you in the back of the head. Um, so. Oh, damn it. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so I'm like mad because I'm like, because I'm, I'm, I really wrote down, why the fuck is this trained hunter holding guns sideways? That's what I said. I like how each of us have the things that really pissed us off. You're like, he was doing the, the sideways thing. And I'm like, why are you have two guns in the same? <laughs> so anyhow. Two, two, guns, two guns, not phased holding them sideways irritated as fuck <laughs> it doesn't even look that cool like i bet it looked like really fucking cool but like it was ineffective to be one thing but it didn't even look only cool. in that rap video with your shitty ass corvette um yeah. so. all right so the brothers jump into a ditch as the cops all roll up and like three cop cars roll up so apparently sam was feeling real clever and didn't we didn't know this but he made an anonymous tip uh, to the police and so the police pulled up and immediately knew on gordon's car where to look for his fancy ass gun rack behind his door too so they oh, find- and it's el camino don't forget oh. this is the el camino oh, we yeah. love yes we do love the el camino so i'm sad and about we love, that and we and love, the, love the rack, rack. <laughs> we do i'm not knocking it but i'm just like proud of sam for it, reporting not just saying oh this guy's gonna come out guns blazing but also he's got this badass weapons rack in his also, good timing, Sam. That you knew, that? Like, they like, you knew that they were gonna show up like, this time. Like, I don't know. Like, obvi- obviously, this is a rural area because <laughs> I mean, it might take you thirty minutes to get through to DPD these days on nine one one. So, I was like, yeah. Well, if it was a rural era, three era area, would three cop cars be showing up? And it, like, it would have been like you know, Deputy Bob and like coming up, and like Gordon would just kill him and take off. Yeah. But anyway, so so. But Sam Sam says it was an honest tip, and Dean calls him a fine, upstanding citizen. So Dean calls Ellen back because he's like, hey, uh, Gordon was fucking hunting Sam, and she's like, she seems actually surprised. But he basically accuses her of telling Gordon about Sam's visions. And she's like, nah, motherfucker, there's other people he around. He rips her a new one. Yeah. Like, he doesn't accuse her. He, like, is mean. 
Yeah, he's mean to her, but she's like, no, man, there's plenty of other. Did you not? And it's a kind of a cool scene. It kind of pans around. Like, she's like, I'm loyal as fuck. And it pans around and you see all these other hunters doing like all kinds of bizarre shit behind her. Yeah, no, these hunters are cleaning guns, their bars oh, at the gut, like cleaning their gun with the bars, cleaning their, their guns, guns at, at the bar. Yeah. I'm like, that seems real safe. Like, I'm just going to sit here with a bunch it's of whiskey and just clean my gun. Right? You know, I mean, at least they're, they're cleaning their weapons. If they want to come to my house and clean my guns, which all need it, like, good for you guys. Like, come on over. But I, I agree. Like, I thought it was really clever and it was just a fun shot. Of, it was like, very just, fun. Yeah. I was deeply amused by it. Like someone's got like their cards out. Like they were all just like picking notes and shit. Yeah, it was great. But basically she's like, I can't control hunters just because they, they come here, but I don't control them. And so, um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, so we cut to Sam trying to call Ava to make sure that she made it home okay and be like, hey, you know, I got my brother, we're okay. And she, uh, and so, and we get Dean makes some like gross prison soap joke about Gordon um and dean's like let's go to amsterdam i'm tired of the job i'm tired of this job and this do we get another little character development about how dean feels about what they do and uh and and sam but sam now is the one that's super committed to it. it's kind of an interesting like switch because you know sam was the reluctant one at first right other than trying to find dad but sam was reluctant to the job at first and dean was super committed this is the job this is what we fucking do and now we've kind of got a little bit of a role reversal once dean got the pressure of the secret from sam about sam and now dean's like nah i kind of want to break from this i feel too much pressure um and and anyway so or is it just that dean's trying to like avoid or whatever it is whatever's going to happen to sam who knows but um sam's like look we can't run from this and you can't protect me um and dean's like i don't believe in destiny so yeah he but sam's like you can't protect me and dean's like but i can try, can try. <laughs> it was very cute it was very sweet good moment. and then we get it we get our we get our favorite references to each other we do bitch jerk <laughs> so yeah um Sam keeps keeps trying to call Ava, and um, and, and throughout this is uh, while this is all going, and Dean makes another gross comment because of course Dean can't help himself. He just says something sweet, so now he has to fuck it up by saying something skeezy, where he says, "What's the point of saving? What's the point of saving the world if you can't get a little nookie every once in a while?" And he said nookie. He did, but also fair. I mean, um, no, his point is fair, <laughs> but he said nookie. That's the he part did. I'm upset about. So um, Sam doesn't have a good feeling about the Ava situation if she's not answering now after the like stuff that went down. So he's like, we got to go to Peoria. So they go break into her house because that's what you do when you can't find somebody or they're not answering their phone. You just go break into their house like normal. And um, at first everything looks normal until they find a bloody fucking mess and her dead fiance in the bed. Yeah, he was brutally murdered. And fast. man, they did not skimp on the amount of fake blood used in the scene. They just like poured like buckets of blood like all over Everywhere. the scene. Yeah. And then they find a, a sulfur residue on the windowsill. So they know the demon was there. And then or Sam a finds demon. Yeah. Or a demon. <clears throat> and then there's a ring on the floor that uh, Sam's like, hey, picks up. It's like, Ava. Ava. That's it. There we go. That's how we end. So yeah. So yeah, it's a really weird, like I'm seeing an interesting shift in the brothers' personalities where now that the basically now the job is directly tied to risking 
life basically of Sam. Now Dean is wants out. It's kind of how I'm reading it. Well, sense? there is that. Yeah, no, and there's, it, it is a good read. I mean, it's also just this, this is his only family he has left. I mean, right. So he's trying to preserve that however he can. And he's like, I think he also, I think the other piece of it might be is like, well, even if I can't escape it, at least I can enjoy the time we have together before he loses his shit and I have to kill him. Yeah, I mean, there's that too. I mean, it's it's a lot of quandaries. Oh, I agree, man. Go to Amsterdam, get high. But, <laughs> Get a red light district. You get some freaky shit on there, Dean. You could probably, you know. Scratch all those itches. <laughs> and, and then and then you're going to have to scratch some more itches after you get your STD. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, yeah. so that was episode 10. Um, you know, we're about halfway through the season now. So I think, again, we, we've got a good plot turn we got things right. moving forward because at least like now we're not finally hiding the stupid secret which i agree was a bit anticlimactic to have it hold out for so long like it could have been it was not like i mean like i'm not saying it wasn't like okay yes it's a big deal like you might have to kill your brother but it's not like the yellow-eyed demon has planned this grand scheme that i have detailed in these five points for you i'm like you, you brother, might have to kill your brother but protect him in the meantime. Dude. Bye. Bye. Like, I'm gonna die now. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I could feel like I protect your sister. Okay. Got on it. Like, I'll do my best. Like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's I mean, I don't think I'd be told I'd have to like kill one. Well, I think that's kind of weird. Yeah, but. I mean, I think also just it was drawn out for so long that and it's so I mean, it is big. Like, I you're gonna have to kill the other main character. Yeah, my. that's a pretty big, yeah. I mean, might but it's i mean it is a big secret but yeah i agree like the way that and also like maybe it was because it was at the cliffhanger revealed here like i think it would have been better if they revealed it in the last episode like i think it would have been a good actually it would have been a good cliffhanger actually yeah if they just gone through up to the point where it was like i'm going to have to kill you yeah and then stop and then gain the next thing i think that would have been a better transition and I less of a left down let down i agree fully yep fully agree. so overall any other no, any that's thoughts all right uh so next week we're going to an episode that i fucking hate it terrifies oh, me so oh wait no not that you just hate it because it's annoying it actually scares you what so now now the concern is does diana need to be scared because i'm a fucking wuss as you know or is it just or like says, weirdly is that it weirdly some... bothers you and it's totally fine to me like one of those like mm. yeah i'm just gonna i'm just gonna leave it and i let you discover for yourself maybe we can watch the episode together next weekend if we have time but um it, it would be fun if we could we'll have we'll have a good group of people with us but we'll see how hungover we are um so anyways i think that's it um so we're halfway through season two guys mm-hmm. we almost made it one more episode we'll be halfway through uh so i guess that's it so as they said in this episode cheers jerk cheers bitch thanks for listening to this week's episode of devil's trap podcast be sure to follow us on instagram devil's trap podcast twitter devil's trap pod or you can email us devil's trap at devil's trap podcast.com don't forget to subscribe leave reviews and share it with all your friends we're available at all your major podcast listening devices so you can always find us at devil's trap podcast.com thanks devil's trap podcast is a don't be a
Intro music, arrangement and performance by Dave Cox. Piano arrangement and performance by Bobby Orozco. Meow. <laughs>